Hi, I'm Sophie. I like the Tesla dance. Welcome to the New Zealand All That's Tesla podcast. Tom Rose is the proud owner of a Reed Model 3 SR Plus. He also has a dream job as New Zealand prepares for the increasing number of EV owners. I caught up with him in Christchurch. Alright, and um, I'm here with Tom Rose. Tom, you've been a Tesla owner now for how long? Uh, two, two and a half years really. Um, so we got one of the really early Model 3s in the country. Um, uh, it's a blue Model 3, standard range plus. Um, we'd had a reservation, my wife bought me a reservation for Christmas in, uh, I think it was 2016, it was the first Christmas when you could do that in New Zealand. Um, when the Model 3 was originally announced, we were actually living in the UK. Um, she's a Kiwi and I'm a Brit, and we were over there for, for a few years. And we thought, oh, you know, we're moving back to New Zealand in six months' time, and we'd really like to do it. And then we looked at whether you could reserve, and at the time you couldn't reserve in New Zealand, so we kind of forgot it. And then she happened to sort of be looking for a Christmas present and was like, oh, I wonder if you can reserve a Model 3 in New Zealand yet. And it turned out you now could. So, um, you know, we were in there relatively early on and and sort of ordered as soon as um, it became available in New Zealand so um, I think ours is one of the rare technically registered in August um, 20 when did they come through 2018 um, although we didn't actually get delivery of it down here till in Christchurch until sort of I think 2nd of September or something like that but yeah so we've had it for a very long time and it looks dirty and um you know it's got bug splats everywhere and stone chips and it's a car that gets used we're a one car family and um it gets used an awful lot so i enjoy seeing all the posts of owners who are um keeping their super pristine but i don't think that's ever going to be me (laughs) good on you well they they soon do attract bugs don't they oh definitely yeah and we have had um we did get a really really bad stone chip on the um windscreen and that had to had to be replaced um yeah, South Island roads um, coming round a corner on a on a sort of seventy bit where they were redoing the chip seal and um, something coming the other way. Just I mean, it was the loudest noise I've ever heard, um, and yeah, we had to get get that replaced. So that was a bit annoying, but um, you know, I mean, this is part and parcel of New Zealand roads. Really, I don't think it's it's any worse than any other car in that respect. It just we you're unlucky every now and then aren't you yeah so that would have been an insurance job was it yeah it was yeah so that was um we were so we had the vero insurance um for the first two two years um and it was covered under that um so i mean it was a pretty smooth process it's uh and at the time um uh we got the you know the, the drill hole and the um squirted stuff in it to make sure it didn't get any bigger and we were lucky that it was only about six weeks I think till the windscreen was available so we didn't really have to go around with the crack for very long it was out of the driver's view so it wasn't a big deal now that's that's an interesting thing because I've had a um, crack in a bus window before and <clears throat> you know drive drive buses a bit and um, it started very small and it did spread mm. as the temperature changed yeah now they say and this is this is scary you you drill a hole at each end of the crack yeah and it stops it from spreading now it makes immense sense 
but really to be brave enough to do that yeah I mean I didn't do that so that we took it into the place that was going to do the full repair and um, they did it I mean it, it, clearly this is something that they do a hundred times a day because it took about what felt like 30 seconds and he said right you can drive it now and it won't get any bigger and I thought oh okay thanks <laughs> Um, and he was right; it didn't didn't get any bigger at all, and um, you know, uh, perfectly easy replacement job. So um, very very easy to deal with. But yeah, that's been our our only major piece of um, uh, work that needed doing. Good on you. Uh, oh, Tom, so tell us a wee bit about yourself. What, were you just visiting Britain when you had this idea, or you were living there? Or did yeah, so I, over or what's I mean, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm uh, British originally and uh, moved over here in about 2005 and um, met my wife here, she's a Kiwi, um, and we were just looking for something to uh, take us back to the UK for a few years really to um, let her um, live with live in the, in the UK, have a sort of more normal relationship with my friends and family and things rather than the sort of the classic go over for two weeks and dash around and meet everybody. Um, and But we didn't want to go over there for no reason, so... Um, uh, she, uh, by trade, is sort of a, she was trained as an ecological scientist. She did um, environmental science at, at University of Canterbury. And um, we went over there because she got a place on a course to do uh, a master's in you know, infill and conservation leadership, um, which was a super interesting program. It was at the University of Cambridge, and um, there were about 18 people from her, in her cohort, and they were from 17 different countries. Um, mostly developing countries and they just sort of brought them all together and Cambridge is a real hub for conservation in the UK there's a lot of, lot of international organisations have headquarters there um, she ended up after the one year course getting a job at Fauna and Flora International um, who work in the David Attenborough building and uh, it was opened while she was there and David Attenborough came and she's met him and you know so you know she's, she's proper bona fide uh, conservationist uh, so we were over there for um, it ended up being about three years in the end um, but we always wanted to come back here to, to Christchurch um, her, her family are um, in Christchurch um, and yeah so um, that I guess really I've told you her history there my history is that I like I um, grew up in the UK moved over here um, basically came on holiday but immediately loved it and thought no I'm going to stay here um, I kind of thought before I came that I might that might happen so I had left my job but um, uh, yeah no. Uh, so I've lived here basically for 15, 16 years now um, yeah. so was it the environmental thing you know, your wife's environmental edge that um, that led you into Tesla specifically or EVs specifically um, that certainly that certainly played a big factor. I mean, you know, we've both sort of you know followed um, uh, sort of you know environmental issues for for a long time. Um, I I remember seeing in a, I'm going to say it was the mid '90s. Um, I went to a um, I was I was doing my my school A levels at the time. Uh, I was doing sort of maths physics and um, I did design technology, and uh, we went to this. Um, I think it was with my family or it could have been with school I can't remember it was like a trade show thing in the UK and one of the things that they had was this electric Lotus Elise that um, I can't remember what the name of the company was but they built a reasonable number of them it might have been a couple of hundred um, and this thing like zoomed onto the stage stopped 
and this person got out and it was like you know the only electric thing I'd seen until that point was a milk float and it was just like wow so you can actually drive a real normal car and I mean at the time I think it only had a 100 mile range or something like that I mean it was it was not useless at all um, but I don't think it ever really went anywhere so this was a company that was converting it but it, it sort of made me a bit fascinated with the idea that this was something you could do um, and then you know it wasn't until quite a bit later that I became aware that this was something that was actually becoming becoming mainstream the Nissan Leaf turned up and you started to dig around and say oh okay who else is getting involved in all this and then this this company starts showing up called Tesla that, that, that sort of makes a you know a sort of big well you know a, a long range sporty thing and I was like oh this feels a bit like the that original Lotus that I saw and then obviously because they were based on the um the Elise body I mean it's very very like the original Lotus that I saw so that was um that was quite interesting for me and I kind of you know was was following that and, and um sort of became interested in, in how their approach um I think it's been fascinating the way that they um you know Elon Musk has uh sort of published his master plan and said this is what we're going to do you know I'm not making any I'm not I'm not not sort of trying to hide anything this is what we're going to do and they've chipped away and they've done that first one and he's now got his second one says well these are the next things we're going to do and they're chipping away at it um i really i really like that approach i mean i think he's a very interesting character um in general but um i think the sort of the the way that he he sort of um envisions a much more interesting future and says okay well what do we actually need to do and comes up with a, a credible plan and then on his own timescale, executes on that plan. Um, I've got a lot of time for that and a lot of respect for that. So, um, you know, I think that's they've been a very interesting company. And then the effects that that's had on other places in the in the in this sort of auto industry, you know, from sort of yes, ha ha, they're very interesting, but it's never going to make a difference to us. Right the way through to oh, now they're worth all of us combined and. Um, I mean, are they really worth that? That's an interesting question. But um, <laughs> technically, their market value is more than all those combined. And, uh, you know, suddenly it's like, oh, OK, we really do need to pay attention to what they're doing because it's, it's important. And um, they've, they've shown the way there. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, in some respects, I'm sort of a, an archetypal Tesla fanboy, I suppose. But in other, in other respects, I, you know, I, I'm very interested in just the industry transi- transitioning as a whole. And Tesla are clearly playing a big part in that, and so they're a very you know you need you need to know what they're doing. Um, but um, I, I personally think we need to be moving to electric vehicles um, from a, sort of an emissions perspective. Uh, I think that they are also they just happen to be much better cars. They're much nicer to drive. They're much cheaper to operate. You don't have to go and buy petrol. The other day, my wife went and bought some petrol for our mower, and she came back and goes, "This stuff stinks. What what are we doing?" Like. Yeah, okay. and we've we've got a we've got a two year old son. So he was born just after we got the car, like a couple of months later. So he's only ever ridden in a well, only ever from us ridden in an electric vehicle, and that's quite cool to know that that's a thing. And um, you know, we often think, what's he going to say when he's older and he kind of realizes the difference and says, "What what were you doing, guys?" You know, um, uh, he already. I can clearly remember carrying him across the supermarket car park when he was probably only one and a half or something like that. And um, we walked past uh, a big SUV and the, the driver had just got in and he sort of started it up and it makes all that noise. And he kind of just sort of turned and looked at it as like, 
what's wrong with this car? Like, it's making this incredible noise. And it was just, the, the fact that that was his reaction, it was really obvious to me that, that you know, he's just of the next generation and that that's going to become just normal. And I'm really excited to kind of be here firsthand watching that happen. You know, it's an exciting time. Well, and talking about firsthand, I mean, you've got a reasonably great job for, for, the, for the revolution. So tell us about your, your job and your role and what you're doing. Okay, so um, I work for Evnex, which is a company that many of you will have heard of. Um, so we make electric vehicle charging hardware and software. Um, we focus on the AC side of things. Um, so DC fast charging, very, very important. Uh, but the sort of the, um, yeah, the investment and, and funding required for that is extremely high. Um, where, so we're a small New Zealand startup founded by um, Ed Harvey that some of you will, will know about. I actually used to work with Ed at our previous, we both worked at the same company sort of 10 years ago and he left to for, found Evnex and I kind of, as somebody interested in the field, I sort of followed it and I would catch up with Ed every now and then and, and see how it was all going. And um, then uh, last year, um, he sort of started to get to the point where he was looking to hire somebody to focus on the product side of things. And I, um, well, I'm a physicist by training and then my career was mostly in software. And then I sort of moved a few years ago over into sort of the product side of things. So um, I'm a product owner, which for people who don't know what that means, it basically means that I sort of spend my time talking to um, customers and understanding what their needs and wants are and what problems they need to solve um, and then I work I'm embedded into the engineering team to to speak to the software people about okay so these are the actual problems this is what we're trying to solve um, make sure that they're really clear on what what it is that we're trying to do um, and then again obviously um, you know they often ask questions of so so do people think this and I have to go back and find out well do people think that so I and in some ways I'm sort of a translator between you know, ordinary person and engineer, which is sometimes an interesting uh, translation job to do. But so, uh, is it similar to uh, I think in the old days, did we call them system analysts? Yeah, it'd be something similar to that. It's somewhere it's, between the customer yeah, and the programmer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's great. It's grown out of that sort of thing, um, and you know, Evnex had grown to the point where um, so Ed had been doing a lot of that work, but um, uh, grown to the point where we needed somebody to, to specialise in that. So um, I've come on board to do that and I mean we're, we're still growing relatively relatively rapidly um, for a long time it was you know just one or two people um, I think they were sort of they only went over five employees it might have been about three years ago now um, but we're now up to sort of around 20-ish um, mostly based in Christchurch um, we've got um, some sales and some uh, uh, electrician um support in other in other parts of the country but um yeah basically headquartered here in Christchurch so if anyone's ever coming past come and come and visit 121 Wrights Road there's a great big sign outside so you can see who we are um yeah um so it's a, it's a great job and so it's it's obviously a, a, been an area of passion for me for a long time um and so to suddenly be able to sort of play a part in that transition is super exciting and um one of my first jobs was to actually talk to a lot of um, drivers about, about some sort of charging behavior things. And so I've actually spoken to quite a lot of Tesla owners because I reached out over um, some people to some, some of the sort of people in the Facebook group to, to have a chat with them. So, uh, you know, I've had a, 
good chat with people like um, everyone we've heard of, like um, Mandy and Mary and uh, Llewellyn, I think, Rob. Um, quite a lot of people um, I've had a really good chat with, so um, that's, that's a really cool part of my role. Yeah. Um, and then one of the other big areas is so um, this is about drivers being able to charge their car the other key thing that we're really passionate about is making sure that um, uh, the electricity grid um, survives this transition and so um, I spend quite a lot of my time talking to um, people in the various sort of um, you know, the, the grid or the retailers, so the, um, the EDBs, they're the um, electricity distribution boards, I think, so they're all the little regional ones. There are about 28 of them, I think, across the country. Um, and they're the ones who manage the sort of the lines locally, and then there's TransPower who manages the lines nationally. And then, of course, there's all the retailers and generators, some of whom are combined, who supply the power and uh, retail the power. So there's, there's a there's a really complicated mix of relationships in there and um, everyone knows there's work to do in this space. Um, it's very, there's a lot of different views on how it's gonna work and um, you know who's gonna own and do which bits and who you know who's gonna be responsible for which bits. And um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a super fascinating um, area to be in, but there's a, very lo- there's a lot of evolving stuff happening and there's a lot of conversations happening. And um, there'll be a lot of lines of, you know, trying to arrange it so that charges will switch on in staggered yeah. things so you don't you know, have everyone turning on at 9pm when exactly. one yeah. company gives free power or something like that. Absolutely, you yeah. Know, even if there's 10 seconds between them or something. So it's staggered across the network and that sort of stuff. So Yeah, so that's why um, you know, uh, MNEX makes um, smart charges. So all of our charges are cloud-connected. Um, and you know, from our perspective... Uh, that's going to be necessary to make sure this works. Um, in terms of sort of, you know, our, our biggest sort of challenge, I would say, is that, um, as a lot of people are fully aware, a three-pin plug charges your car perfectly acceptably. You can go at uh, eight or, you know, with the new temperature-controlled ones, 10 amps. You, you can add well over 100K of range overnight, and most people drive well under 100K every day, and therefore that solves your problem, why would you need it? But the challenge there is that, um, you know, sort of at this stage with 30,000 EVs on the road, that's fine, it's not a problem, but, but that's only 1% of the fleet. So once we get to 3 million of them, if they all plug in and take, you know, that 8 to 10 amps, um, uh, they're all going to start early at night, that, that's probably not going to work. Mm. And so we need to be smarter about it. And I think fundamentally, a like a wall charger, if price were no object, I think most people would really like to have a wall charger. It's, it's a lot faster, so it offers you that flexibility. I really like the fact that you know I leave the mobile charger in the car so that if I ever need it when I'm out and about, it's in there, and I use the wall charger exclusively at home. Um, and so you know I don't have to sort of think about this is a bit of a first world problem, but wrapping it all up and putting it in the case and putting it in the car and taking it back out again. You know, um, I like the fact that I've just got the wall charger. It's mounted on the wall right next to where the car is. It's, it takes five seconds to just plug it in and, you know, there's nothing to think about there. Um, but they are they are expensive. Um, installation is complicated. Um, you know, you can end up spending $5,000 getting it, getting the hardware and getting it installed. 
Um, so, you know, from my view, we need to be bringing that down as, as rapidly as we can because we need to get to the point where um, it becomes the obvious choice for everybody to have one. But at the moment, when you're saying you've got the mobile one that comes free uh, or you spend, you know, at least $2,000 to get a smart charger, the Tesla Wall charger is, is cheaper. Um, the hardware is a little bit cheaper. Um, but once you add in the install costs, I think the median install cost is about $700. So, you know, you're already talking sort of $1,500. So, and that's sort of right at the cheap end of the, of the sort of wall charger, you know, for an installed solution. Um, and at the moment, the Tesla stuff isn't sort of connecting back into a, a, a back end that's actually trying to manage the, the load. So, um, you know, uh, it probably will one day. I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, but, yeah, from, from our perspective, we, we think most people probably would use a, use a wall charger if they were at the right price point, and that's a, that's a big challenge for us. Um, there's quite a few, I think, probably um, people will be aware from talking on the message boards about um, there's, there's a reasonable number of trials going on with the EDBs around... Um, smart charging so um, Vector have had a, a big one that's been going on for a long time um, PowerCo have got a big one that's that's been going for not quite as long but it's but it's there there's a few others I think those are the two main sort of publicly notified ones at the moment um, and um, so they're both using Ifnex chargers which is really cool and exciting to be part of that and um, you know, I don't think they ever had any problem getting people to sign up because if you get one for free, it's like, well, I would, I would like to have this. Um, it's just much more difficult to get somebody to uh, spend two thousand dollars when they've just spent whatever it is that they've spent on their car. Um, but you know, so that's that's one of our challenges is to make sure that we're we're sort of compelling enough um, product that um, that people think that that's worth worth doing. Um, one of my previous uh, interviewees suggested the idea is you know, we've got a discount off the car. It would be quite useful as we build up mm. the I suppose the housing infrastructure um, to give some sort of assistance to installing of a uh, mm. in home charger thoughts on that or yeah I mean I think that that would um, that potentially is a good idea I, I'm never quite sure where to go with the idea of subsidies because I think that um, you know you can end up sort of polarizing people um, in the same way as you know the, the clean car rebate it's like oh you know this is just um subsidizing rich boys buying their toys and uh, i think you'd end up in a similar space there i think there's maybe a slightly more compelling case to make in the case of um charging infrastructure that um actually this is something that if we get wrong is going to destabilize the grid um i don't think we will get it wrong i think there's plenty of work to do uh to to avoid that i think we're going to go and do it but um you know i think it's perhaps an easier sell um, and there are countries like the, you know, in the UK, they've had the, um, uh, uh, what was it called, OZEV or something like that. I can't remember what the grant was called, but you got um, about £350. So what's that, $700 or something off the price, which, which makes a pretty meaningful difference. Um, in fact, my dad in the UK, he drives a, a Nissan Leaf, a 40 kilowatt third generation Nissan Leaf, and he got his, he's got a wall charger that came um, through that. So I think it only cost him, you know, maybe maybe 400 pounds or something 800 dollars fully installed which is you know clearly that's bringing you right down to being not much more than than the cost of a mobile charger obviously with a tesla you get the mobile charger free but um yeah uh i i think that there could be some value in that um 
but I do think that you'd then still run the risk of the, the sort of the perception side of things being that you're subsidising rich people, um, which I think is there's there's some merit to that argument. Um, uh, but equally, you know, I, I think that we 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 will face a sort of a in the maybe sort of eight to ten year time frame, we're going to face a, a serious threat if we don't do anything um, about um, you know making sure that the that the we've got the smarts in the grid to ma- to manage all of this um one of the interesting things that comes up talking to the edbs is you know they've got like a, a sort of a um uh they're fairly heavily regulated in, in what they are attempting to do so they're not a lot of them have a non-regulated sort of arm that is potentially a sort of a um commercial profit center but, but quite a lot of it is regulated in what they're trying to do and they're you know they're supposed to be delivering a service and um They've got some real concerns around things like the equitability of um, charging, and you know they're, they're sort of saying, well, if if we spend the first few years, you know, allowing everybody to do whatever they want, and then we have to sort of become draconian and say you must do this, then that's not very equitable. We're going to find that people coming later to the party are are suddenly you know put in a in a in much more awkward position than the people who've been having free reign up to now, and that's a concern. And then they've also got a concern around things like, um, you know, if you get super smart and you start having loads of solar and loads of people going off the grid, you end up in this sort of mm-hmm. death spiral where, you know, you have to maintain this giant infrastructure for the one house in New Zealand that's actually left attached to it, and that person has to pay billions of dollars. And you know, it clearly won't get quite to that extent, but that's that's uh, that's a real concern. So they're they're looking at that kind of thing and 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 sort of, you know, trying to make sure that we don't end up in that situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've touched on five or ten different little problems, but these things all inter- have interplay, and and um, yeah, so it's a super fascinating place to be in. It, I'm really enjoying working here and being part of that. Um, and yeah, there are a lot of opinions on how this might go, and uh, uh, we're just trying to make sure that we're, from our perspective, making sure that everyone gets their car charged from as clean energy as possible, and that the lights stay on. And uh, you know that's that's Ednex's vision for for New Zealand's future. Fantastic! That's amazing. Yeah, and it's a uh, good good Kiwi company too. So it's um that's good. Now, trips. Have you yes. done any decent trips in your car? As we well? oh we've done a lot of decent trips in the yeah. car. Yeah. Um, so uh, we were a one car family, and uh, like I say, we've got a toddler, and we've got a, uh, another one on the way. So. Um, uh, you know, we we fill our car up with stuff and we drive off to places reasonably frequently. Um, my my wife's extended family has a, a, a batch up in the Marlborough Sounds. Um, I think it was her great grandmother bought it or something, so it's now about two hundred family members that sort of share ownership, and so you you get a slot and you go. But we go up there reasonably frequently, probably probably two or three times a year, sort of working bees and things as well. Uh, so that's a decent drive. Um, with a toddler, you obviously have to stop fairly frequently anyway, so charging is never an issue for us um, <laughs> in terms of, you know, you, you need to get out and run around it. Uh, Cheviot's got a great playground near the Charger if you're ever going through there. Um, that's that's probably my top pick for for, for, for driving north from here. Um, and so we've been, been up and down to the Marble Sounds quite a lot. Um, been over to... Uh, recently just been over to... Ocarito on the west coast which was really nice um, that was uh, over sort of new year or just after new year uh, last year we went on a big trip not last year sorry 2020 um, we went on a big trip down to Tianao um, 
and visited Milford Sound, which is obviously a, a good drive. Uh, it's pretty. It's really good having the the sort of the panoramic roof when you've got a toddler who's sort of you know in the in the backwards facing, slightly upwards looking mm. chair. You know, when you're driving through mountains and forests and things like that, he's got plenty he can see out the roof, and he really likes that, which That's is good fun. Um, and we've also been up to the North Island, so um, uh, we went up to about as far as. Um, visiting some friends in Topol. Uh, so we went up to and caught up with various people in sort of Wellington, Paraparam, went up to uh, Wapanui and then across to Topol. So we've done, my, my biggest drive was I dropped my wife and son off at uh, New Plymouth Airport and I drove all the way back down to Christchurch in the, in the day uh, while they flew because I don't think they were quite going to manage that. But um, uh, no, that was good. Uh, in fact, in going down to Tiano, I, um, I drove with my father-in-law and my wife and mother-in-law and son flew to Queenstown and we picked them up there. So, yeah, we've done quite a lot of uh, decent long road trips and uh, thoroughly enjoy driving the car on those long trips. It's the car's behaved itself. Have you had any sort of any issues? What's what would be the story of the, the greatest um, disaster? Greatest disaster. Oh, well, okay, so, the road. well, so no, we don't. So we we, we like going tramping, uh, and um, it's not easy with a small child. But um, we managed to get away. Um, I think it was about late May, twenty twenty one. So it was, it was getting pretty cold, and we were drove up to Arthur's Pass, um, and when we got back to the car, it was at about minus four degrees, and. Um, it sort of you know ear, it earmarks a chunk of the battery to say I need this to heat myself back up again, which I'd never seen before. But I kind of knew it happened, but I, I hadn't seen it before. And it had earmarked about five percent, and so we only had about twenty percent. And it was like, oh, okay, um, I mean, we could drive further into Arthur's Pass and charge, but I think hopefully we'll get back to Castle Hill. So we went, we went back that way, and um, what we found was that the um, it actually warmed itself up quite well and so gradually it was saying oh actually I don't need 5% I only need 4 and oh, I only need 3 and so we ended up not using any range at all um, but what we did find was that um, we'd got we'd taken, taken a friend with us to help carry um, toddler paraphernalia and so he and I were sitting in the front and uh, Meredy and Hugo were sitting in the back and uh, Meredy was quite cold because we'd had to do some river crossings and um, uh, for recent owners, um, standard range plus vehicles didn't used to come with heated rear seats, um, and so she was very cold. And uh, I suddenly said, "We could just stop and unlock the rear seats." So, we, so we stopped at Castle Hill, uh, paid for the heated rear seats, and then drove on. And she was like, "This is the, this is the best five hundred dollars I've ever spent." Or what it, I can't remember what it was, something like that. Uh, so uh, that was quite a good that was quite a good trip. Um, that showed we've now got the heated rear seats, but we unlocked them on the way back from a tramping trip because someone in the back was too cold. <laughs> it's wonderful, wonderful that you can do that I know. over the air on a trip as you need it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they don't quite have a subscription service for, for heated rear seats yet, no, which no. might have been more interesting to us. But um, no, I mean, you know, from our perspective, this is a car that we're going to have for a long time, and so you know, we'll have children in the back sitting there getting cold, so we, it, it's actually a useful thing to do anyway. But it was quite amusing. I think the guy, you know, the friend sitting with me in the front was just sort of like, what is this? <laughs> I don't think he'd really sort of bought into the whole Tesla mindset. And so he, he, uh, he was quite fascinated by that. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. What a, what a great example. All right. So um, Christchurch, if, well, I am a visitor visiting Christchurch mm. at the moment. Um, I'm, 
I'm passing through. Uh, if I had a spare eight hours, which is probably about as long as uh, it's going to take to fix my car at the moment. So apart from visiting uh, 121 Wrights Road, mm, yeah. or Avenue, um, what else would I do in Christchurch? Well, so I live up um, in the hill over sort of uh, towards the coast, Mount Pleasant, which uh, I think is a great suburb to live in. Um, uh, and I really love just getting out and walking out in the hills up above Mount Pleasant. So during lockdown, I mean, I, we were incredibly lucky. I'm obviously in contact with my family in the UK a lot. And, you know, we were sort of comparing lockdown experiences. And I can five minutes from my house be up in the up in the hills walking I think the the walk out to Godly Head uh, is really really stunning on like if you can get a nice clear often winter days are really good for that you get a really really still you've got this sort of flat calm ocean kind of all around you into Littleton Harbour and back in the other direction over towards Kaikoura and you can sort of see the the Kaikoura um, mountains there sort of snow capped um, I love getting up there uh, that's a that's a great thing to go and do um, equally I love um, you know, if you've got a full eight hours, you could you could go over and sort of you know maybe do a sort of short hill walk in the in the Canterbury foothills. Um, you know, driving up to Porters Pass is quite nice, and you can then you can climb Foggy Peak, which is at the side of the road there. Um, it's I don't know maybe a four hundred meter climb, relatively sort of straight up out of the car, but the view from there is pretty stunning. Um, and you know, get plenty of regen on the way back down again. In fact, you can basically get from Porter's Pass to Springfield for free. Uh, and Springfield has a fast charger. So, um, you know, if you've made it to Porter's Pass, you're sorted, you're definitely gonna be able to get to where you're going. Um, so those would probably be my, my two immediate picks. But I think Christchurch has got an awful lot to offer. I mean, um, one of the reasons I sort of fell in love with it when I first came over here was the fact that you can go and do um, you know you can go to a beach that's reasonably nice for surfing or just for um uh you know sandcastle building you, you've got the sort of the estuary which has a whole load of fantastically interesting um birds there um it's yeah, yeah. The, the estuary we, we can see it from my house and it's, it's sort of this living thing with the the water arriving and receding and there's hundreds of thousands of birds there all sorts of like really quite important species um live there so you know if you're sort of interested in any of that um, you know, Christchurch is a great place to come and visit. Ocarito is, is an even more pristine one, but but the Christchurch one is actually a, a pretty special place as well. So, um, yeah, and the fact that you can go to the mountains, you can go skiing, you can go climbing, you know, you can do all of these things with within a sort of an hour and a half drive, which you don't find many places in the world where you can achieve all of those things in such a small geographical area, um, which is one of the reasons why I sort of fell in love with the place when I first came here. Yes. Yeah, back in ski and then totally in the beach. Absolutely, the yeah. You know, you you can you can ski on Saturday and be in the beach on Sunday. You know, there's not many places where you can go and do that easily. So, um, yeah, no. Oh, that is awesome, Tom. Um, now, look, if people want to get in touch with you and sort of have a wee chat about anything that you've mentioned today, mm. um, what's the best way to contact you? You're on the social, social media groups. Yeah, so um, you can reach out. Um, I'm on the uh, Model 3 Owners um, Facebook group uh, and the New Zealand EV Owners Facebook group. Um, I, I post a little bit in both of those places, but not. I'm not sort of um, uh, particularly noisy there. Uh, it's partly because I don't want to sort of, um, I don't want people to perceive a conflict of interest or anything like that there um, because of my role. Um, but you know, uh, absolutely feel free to sort of message me on that. Um, 
the other thing you can do is drop into 121 Wrights Road and uh, you know we're always interested to see fellow EV owners here. Uh, I'm the only um, permanent worker who has the has a Tesla here so you know you might need to come bring yours and make sure that I don't feel too outnumbered. Um, we've got a guy who does some contract work for us who's got one on the west coast he's he's you know grey mouths only Tesla I suspect I don't know but, um, but yeah no we get some good stories from him from from things over there um, but yeah th- those would probably be the two two most obvious obvious ways to get in touch with me and uh, you know I'm always interested in talking uh, talking EVs and talking charging and and you know ha- how we can how we can make better products for people and also how we can make sure that we solve these important problems as we move forward because I, I yeah while I say that there's there's work to be done I don't think any of it is beyond the wit of man it's just a case of, of um, getting the right people together and uh, making some decisions and, and uh, you know, building the technology we need to build and getting the, the word out there that we need to, to explain to people and um, those are sort of two, two key things that I'm pretty passionate about so yeah well, thank you very much for your time cool Yes, it was great to catch up for a coffee and chat about Tom's experience and his expertise. It's great to have so many varied contributors to our podcast. So, what's your story? Why did you choose Tesla? What's been your great trip? We want to chat with you. So if you have half an hour to spare, which is about enough time for a coffee and a supercharge at Timaru or Hamilton, drop me, Martin, a line, or Alex. Both our details are up at allthatstesla.nz Thank you once again to our existing and new Patreon supporters. We really appreciate your contribution to the online file storage space we need to host all our episodes. If you want access to all our future episodes as soon as they're recorded, maybe you could check out patreon.com slash allthatstesla or contact me for the details of our New Zealand bank account if doing things via an American website is not your thing. Until next time, keep sharing a wave with other EV owners you see on your journey, recognising their shared contribution to leading the charge in our Kiwi revolution.